that this has been a challenging um, reality, I think, for me personally, and I hope for you. And it always is, allowing your life to be seen by others and to invite people in. But when you say something out loud and you call it out, now you pay attention to it more. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like when you meet someone, um, I, I remember meeting a couple of people in college my senior year that I had class with for three years, and I had no idea that they were in there. And when I met them for the first time, I saw them everywhere. Does everyone know that experience? And so it's when we call this stuff out, living invitation, now we see invitation everywhere. And it's really annoying because that means now we got to respond. We have no excuse. We can't hide under a rock because it's been called out. So it's either we do or we don't in that moment. And we grow into that, of course. So it it becomes challenging. Today is going to be no less challenging because we're going to deal with a topic that I despise because it has infiltrated every single person's life on this planet in some way, shape, or form, whether we identify it or not. Last week, Mark did a, a wonderful message and and in that, he shared um, some really poignant stats on loneliness. And how loneliness can actually kill you. It really can. Because we are not meant to be alone. We talked about the scripture last week in Genesis that man is not meant to be alone. And so we fight, we fight to stay connected in some way, shape, or form, not always a healthy way, because we're not meant to be alone. So when we feel rejection or being alone, it's painful. And not just emotionally painful, it affects your entire body. A study was done um, on loneliness and said that loneliness is deadlier than if you were to smoke a pack of cigarettes every day for your entire life. Loneliness will kill you quicker. So I started uh, thinking about that message and loneliness and what causes me to retreat. What causes me, when I feel lonely, what has put me there? And you know what the number one culprit is in my life and most people's lives is rejection. How many felt rejection? How many felt it today? It could be as little as this. I Okay, when you're preaching on stuff, <laughs> the week before you really get blasted with opportunity to practice what you're going through, okay? And I felt rejection on every scale, from a low scale to a high scale, even to the point that this morning, it took me seven, six to seven pieces of tape to get this dumb thing stuck to my face. And I would do it, and it was like, rejection, nope, got to do it again, rejection, nope. I mean, even little things like that. You experience the little ones too, right? You know, you walk to your door, you think it's unlocked, and you pull, and it's locked, It throws your back out of whack. Now you're upset. You're in a bad mood. And now you're just cranky because your door rejected you. (laughs) We experience those all over the place. And it has infiltrated our lives to the point that we try to become something else so that we don't have to experience the rejection. It may seem like an elementary thing. Well, only kids deal with that. we're all just kids with a higher number because we deal with the same thing. We either find our value in our work, we find it in what we can do. Rarely, in the world as a whole, rarely 
do we find our value and our significance only in Christ Jesus. And it's only in that place that it doesn't cause loneliness. Rejection still hurts, but it will not isolate us because we're with the one. Our value is secure, but it's a challenging place to get to. It's something that we grow into because the world will tell us other things. If you're a Christian, you will be persecuted if you have not already. And persecution comes in all different shapes and sizes. That's the world rejecting the God within you and punishing you for it. Rejection is all around us. It will always be all around us until God returns. So how do we respond to it now that it doesn't sever connection and prevent us from our lives, excuse me, being a living invitation? I tell you, rejection can paralyze you. Paralyzes you. You see, we can see all the the invitations in our life that we need to give or say yes to, and even more so now that we're talking about it all the time, but be petrified. Because what if they say no? What if... Oh, you're out. You're done. It was interesting because I was talking to one of my best friends this week, and he said, what are you preaching on this week? And I went, ah, rejection. And he's a marriage and family therapist. He says, he just starts laughing. I said, why are you laughing? He goes, because you got so much material to work with. I said, and that doesn't even include your high school years. And he was serious. And he started laughing, you know, just kind of take the edge off. Damage done, felt rejected. <laughs> but it's true, our life is full of moments to say yes to who we are in Christ and to let other things and other people give us our sense of value. And that may sound like, well, this is a Sunday school conversation. No, it's not, because it's infiltrated every single person, and I don't know anybody any age who does not deal with this in some way, shape, or form. If I do a good job at my work, I will be seen as this. If I work out enough, I will be seen as this. If I'm creative enough, I will be seen as this. So I begin to become someone I'm really not so that I don't have to face the reality of rejection because it is designed in us to be with people. And so rejection actually, and we'll talk about this in a second, physically hurts. It stimulates the same part of your brain that registers physical pain. It's what it does. Because we are meant to be with people. So when we experience rejection, we experience the opposite of what we are designed for. Now, sometimes we, the rejection can be a good thing. We shouldn't be in that group of people, or we shouldn't be, but it still lands the same. Is this how they see me? So I was, you know, really excited and enthralled to really start studying this. Insert sarcasm there. Um, Not really pumped about what I was going to have to revisit my own life. Because here's the deal. I've had plenty of sports injuries. Plenty of them. Surgeries, all of this. And when I go back into those memories and try to think of the pain I experienced... It's minimal. But when I go back to when I first felt rejected, it's like I, it just happened. It's a different kind of pain. 
and it just, it, and it can stay fresh for years. We can put the rejection on the shelf and then something, something even small can trigger it. And it's like, boom, it's like it just happened to you. Who's experienced that? It's fresh. So there's something about the emotional content of who we are that we really need to address with Jesus because it's almost more valuable than our physical needs. You think about how much we put into the physical, the doctors, the, the exercises, the stretching. You know, I'm, I'm a vegan, I'm a fruitarian, I'm, you know, whatever. You think about all of that. But what about the rejection I feel? What about the fact that I can talk with someone and as soon as they, even if they just flinch that they're not listening to me, I feel diminished, that my, I have no value. I feel ridiculous. What do I do with that? Because that will influence my health. So we want to talk a little bit today, because this is something that you, we, it has to be on the front burner all the time. We'll talk more about that in a second. But we're going to talk a little bit about today uh, how, the, how rejection influences our lives. And really, what does Jesus say? Because... Think about all the times you've been rejected. Let's combine all of them in this room and then combine all the rejection every single person on the planet, past, present, and future, has experienced, and it will not come close to the rejection God has experienced from us. Anytime we say no to him, that is rejection. Now, that stings to say out loud and it stings to hear for some, but it doesn't change the truth of it. If Jesus wants you near and you say no, that's rejecting the invitation. Is it not? He's experienced that from the garden on. Over and over and over. But here's the deal. It does not change who he is at all. Does it hurt? Yes. Does, he, does it change his character? Does he become something else? No. How do we get there? That's the question. But let's look at rejection a little bit here. There's a, a doctor out of New York University, a psychologist, who has made it his life's goal to really engage loneliness, rejection, um, emotional health. And he has a twin brother. His name is Dr. Guy Winch, and he has a twin brother. And there's experiences that they've had where they're so connected relationally that if they don't get a phone call from one another, if it's missed one time, they feel completely rejected because how close they are. It's, it's not on the radar for that to happen. So this got him, and then he found out those experiences were miscommunications or something happened that they couldn't control. But then he said, how many other people feel this way on a greater scale? So here's some things that he noticed. With rejection, we can relive and re-experience social pain more vividly than we can physical pain. We just talked about this. I mean, it can be one little thing that triggers you, triggers your whole behavior for the rest of the day, maybe for the month, maybe for the rest of your life if you don't get healing. And it's worse. Sometimes the emotional and mental heartache that we have to go through, we would take physical pain over in a heartbeat. Anyone there? I would rather be punched in the face, punched in the gut, tortured than have to experience this kind of inner torture that, that there doesn't seem to be any remedy for. 
Secondly, rejection establishes, disestablishes our need to belong. It isolates us. We begin to question ourselves, who we are, because someone observed something in us that they didn't like, according to us, and rejected us. But we're meant to be in relationship. We're meant to have connection, but this just severed that. That rejection has now really disestablished my, my need to belong. I want to belong, but at what cost? It's too high. If this is how I'm going to feel every time I try. And then we become isolated and alone. And then everything's at risk. Because we're not meant to be alone. Rejection creates and surges of, of anger and aggression. Look at the world today. Look at the world today. When you look at school shootings, when you look at uh, any kind of violence, really, and you see people doing horrific things, if you were to put them in a room and begin to go down their timeline in their life, you will find, you will find, in studies show us, you will find plenty of rejection. Absent parents, abusive parents, abandonment, you name it. And their response is aggression. What do they have to lose? Every time they trust a hope, they get let down. They, the rejection begins to build more and more and more and more. And they just become aggressive. Rejections, oh, this, is a t- this one I don't like because I do this too often. Send us on a mission, and I like how he phrased this, a mission to seek and destroy our self-esteem. Anyone been there? It can, it can be one thing. And now everything you knew about yourself that was healthy and good is in question. You see this in body shaming. You see this in social shaming. You're not in the right social class. You don't have money. You don't look the right way. Yeah. And then you're doing everything you can to fit that bill. I mean, you look at media today, and you look at all of the images we put out that this is the standard, but it's not real life. And most of those people are miserable trying to keep that up. Yet we say this is the standard. This is success. This is what it means to be rich. This is, you know, oh, it's exhausting. That kind of self-maintenance is terrible. And kids are not the only ones that deal with this. We as adults deal with this. We are children and infants in denial. This is really what we are. This is really what adults are. <laughs> and this is interesting. Rejection can temporarily lower your IQ. According to research from Case Western Reserve University, exposure to rejection led participants in a study to have an immediate drop in reasoning by 30%. 30%. That's what I'm starting with. 30%. In an IQ by 25%. It was also determined that feelings of rejection led participants to become more aggressive and exhibit less self-control. You see what happens here. Think about it. When you're put in a corner, you're not thinking straight. You're thinking survival. And you will get aggressive. And you will get mean. 
I mean, how many times have you said something to someone you love because the pressure cooker is on you and something just came out and you were like, oh, I didn't mean that, but damage done. And then you go, that was stupid. Yeah, because you're actually, you know, your IQ dropped in that moment. That's why. (laughs) Your reasoning skills dropped in that moment. That's why. That's what rejection and the fear of that does. We fight for ourselves. And we do it in the most unwise way you can imagine. And, in, and this goes right into this one. Rejection does not respond to reason. Have you ever tried to talk someone out of feeling rejected? Try to reaffirm them? They're not, they're not having any of it. Because the pattern in their life of, of people says they, they're not wonderful, uh, loved unconditionally by God. No matter what you tell them, because they haven't seen that exhibited to them except for what they're hearing from you. So they're not thinking straight. They're not seeing, really, the reality of God's love for us. And then we come to one that just drives me up the wall. Social media. Don't like it. Forbes did a study. Despite emotional wounds being invisible... Anguish, distress, and stress are becoming more and more common. That is true. As we are now rejected frequently with small snubs like unfollowing on Twitter. Swiping left on Tinder. I don't even know what that is. Not liking an Instagram post. Not matching on a dating site or being alone during the holidays. These emotions are felt more often. Social media and constant contact to millions of people at any moment although further distances between personal connections inherently mean that more people can reject us. Even if it is small as not liking our social media post when we like theirs. You see how we're children in denial? In college when Facebook first came out and I liked or I requested a like from someone or a, a friendly request, they didn't answer me for three weeks, and I'm sitting every day looking at the computer. And I'm going, oh, my, this is rock bottom. This is what this feels like. I am waiting. I don't even know this person. This person lives in Germany. What is going on? Slight exaggeration there, but you get my point. We, we do, I just tied my value to this connection. And the rejection of that kept me hoping that I wouldn't be rejected. And I lost time. And I didn't understand that I'm already fearfully and wonderfully made. But you look at the landscape of the world today, and how many people are like this? Oh, I've got to like this person. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to do this. And there's always a good excuse to do it, according to us. But we find that our tolerance and endurance for rejection gets worse and worse and worse because you have more opportunity, and then it's smaller things. What happens when the big rejections come? Oh. Jesus, his life, we need to look at carefully here, because he experienced rejection being fully human and fully God. All the time. And believe me, it stung But how he postured himself was what we see in his baptism. Because he hears this first before he starts his ministry. He hears, you are my son 
who I am what? Well pleased, value established, boom. That's where he's going to live out of. That's where he's going to go to when he retreats, is that love. That's what he's going to do when he engages the people. He's going to move in and out of knowing that he's loved. Now, we talked about the beginning of the series that we're going to use periodically uh, Mark chapter 10 to make this point because the, the encounter with the rich young ruler, what it does for us, it gives us a plain as day idea of the rejection Jesus experienced, but how it did not alter how much he loves us. It doesn't change his character. Our rejecting him doesn't change his character. Here we go. As Jesus was standing out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Stop. Now, I believe Jesus was fully human, fully divine, and that he limited himself so that he could have the full human experience. He could have called down angels, but he didn't. He could do a lot of things, but he didn't. But I don't think Jesus was a fool. I think he was the best discerner on the planet. And we don't know. We get a look at what this man might have done, but we don't really know. Okay? But I believe Jesus knew that this guy was not going to respond well. And we see this phrase, look at the man, looking at the man, Jesus genuinely loved him. He knows the heart of men. He knows when he's about to be rejected, but it did not change his genuine, authentic, pure love for this man. It didn't change. And he says, there's still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Get rid of the things you think are valuable that do not produce life, and come be with me and watch life be produced for eternity. And here's what we, the response that we see. It's not completed, but we see it. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Pretty bad rejection, is it not? But do you see that your value, my value, and security are completely intact? But rejection tells us differently. It tests what we know to be true up here to see if it's gone here. See, we, we blame the devil on a lot of stuff, and hey, he made a person do this, and he made. You know what he goes at? He wants you to believe, and I don't. I don't know how he does it. I don't care how he does it. I just know he does. But he wants to go at your value. If he can get you to feel you're not God's, you're not his, for him, that's a victory. Does he need to make you do unpure things? Those are small tasks compared to you living out of a place of thinking you don't have value. And then he just lets humanity do its thing. We give him a lot of credit. 
But really, all he has to do is just get us off the path a little bit. And guess what? We do the rest, don't we? You miss the target this much, you miss the target, right? He didn't have to do much. All he has to do is put a seed of doubt that you don't have value. I thought, uh, I was thinking long and hard about the first time I remember being truly rejected. I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't like sharing this in the first service. I'll share it with you now. But we can see, if we look at our history, where that first encounter was and how it shapes behavior in your life. And challenge is this. I grew up knowing this was my dad who came out and prayed for me, who has done that since I can remember. I know my value. I know that I'm loved. And I remember the first time it was tested was in fifth grade. And at that time, you know, the quarter machines at the supermarkets and stuff, they were doing this temporary tattoo thing. And I thought it was cool. It was not. But I thought it was cool. And I remember... Um, I love animals. I love animals. I love marine life, all of that stuff. So when I got a, a jaguar's head going, Rawr, I thought it was like the coolest thing. Little did I know it would take me down for years to come. <laughs> Stupid jaguar head. And then me thinking I'm cool, based on my own idea, that put it in the worst place you could put it. Put it like right on my hip and right there. And I go in to Mr. Sundstrom's class. God bless him. It triggers. See, it's right here. I'm so proud of this dumb tattoo, and I put it in the worst place, thinking it was the coolest place to look at. And I started showing people. Look at that. Super cool. All the girls love me. Not so much. <laughs> that Mr. Sundstrom took it upon himself to remind me and to tell me how ridiculous I was being in front of the entire class and then punished me. As if the humiliation of rejection wasn't enough, I got punishment after that. And then I thought from that moment on, inward, I'm a ridiculous person. I'm ridiculous. And I try to grow into all the false uh, images that people wanted and thought were acceptable. I did. And it was, and it made me more ridiculous. I grew my hair out down the ear, shaved it underneath, put it in a ponytail. This face don't look good with a ponytail. It barely looks good with short hair. And I had a ponytail. It looked terrible. But I started doing these things. How often we sacrifice who we are in Christ Jesus so that we can get by without having a Mr. Sunstrom, God bless him, completely ridicule us and embarrass us. We have set an unhealthy standard in church and culture that this is how you have to be to belong with Jesus. Colorful words want to come out of my mouth right now. That is a complete and utter lie. For people to walk through these doors and believe they have to put on a face and that they're not carrying wounds is a tragedy. It's an absolute tragedy. See, we convince people that they have to be something that they're not. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about social class. I'm not talking about sexuality. I'm not talking about any of that stuff. I'm talking about who they are as a human being in Christ Jesus. 
that their identity is found there and there alone. That is what we want to invite people into, that kind of value. But we have shown something differently. Even in the church, we do that way too often. Most people's rejection, when you, when you bring up the church with people, now, for me, especially people that aren't in church, there's a reason for it. And it's usually because they felt rejected in some way, shape, or form. Our, our job is simple. We are not the judgment police. We are the, invita- the inviters into the heart and love of God. And let him do it. That's where we, that's what we are built into and out of. See, here's the deal. Is that God says we are fearfully and wonderfully made and our behavior towards others shows the opposite. Do you know what that is? The opposite of love is abomination. When we make someone feel less than the name and reality of beloved, it is an act of abomination. I've done it to people. People have done it to me. You've done it to people. That's what forgiveness is for. Thank you, Jesus. But for us to dare tell someone they have to be this to be this outside of coming to Jesus. Nope. We've just set up more rejection for them. More loneliness, more isolation. This isn't about picking on us. This is about calling out the truth and reality. And the truth and the reality is we are beloved people that have to invite people into that name. My name is not Brendan first. It's God's beloved. That's what my name is before Brendan was ever whispered. I could be talking all day on this, but I want to close with a couple of things here. We're really good at taking poignant things that we hear in Scripture and we see in the character of God and slap it on a bumper sticker Put it on a Christian t-shirt, and there we go. Those are all cool things. I've got bumper stickers in my car. They're great. They're fun. They put, you know, they, they give people an invitation to go, why do you have that dumb sticker on your thing? It's not dumb, let me tell you why. Those are great things. But we have an innate ability, especially in the Christian culture, to culturize everything that is good about Jesus in a way that the things, the truths of God don't necessarily have the same zing that they once did. And I want to remind you of who you are. And I want you to think and listen to every word that you're going to hear out of Scripture. And I pray in Jesus' name you would hear it as if for the first time. The first one is this. It is, where am I here? (laughs) One of the most poignant passages in all of Scripture. We use it in Sunday schools. We put it on toilet paper and calendars and this, all this stuff. And I've seen all those things, by the way. You see them on the bottom of cups at restaurants, in and out, and and, and different Christian organizations. John 3.16. You could all, all of you could probably quote it to me. 
Tell me a little bit about it. But I hope and pray that right now we hear it fresh. For God. So close your eyes. For God so loved the world. For God so unconditionally loved. The word love means with, without borders. Unconditional. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Stop. I would not, I'm being honest with you, give up my son for any one of you. I would not, probably. Because my love for him is so great that to depart from him, there are no words. So let me read that again. A father and son that have never been apart ever in the history of existence. For God so loved you that he gave his only son for you. That if you believe in him, you'll not die. You won't perish. But you will live forever. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Are you beginning to get the gravity of that? Let that sink. When you're telling me, and we're telling ourselves, that we're going to let someone else take that from us? It can't be. His love is foreverly, forever eternal in us, for us. A value you cannot put into words. You can only see in the sacrifice of his one and only son. It's the only way. It's the only way on this earth you can see it. It's through Jesus Christ. And lastly, if you're not convinced by that one, I'm not used to having all these papers up here. Not my style. This is a long passage, but I want to just highlight a couple of things. And this is one I was saying earlier. I don't know why I'm saying this, but it's one of Mark's favorites. <laughs> I hear it about it a lot. Um, I was joking with him. He also likes, you know, long walks on the beach and all that stuff. If you, need, if you need to know any other information about Mark that doesn't apply, let me know. Psalm 139. Have we heard it? It starts with this. I want to read this first verse. Oh, Lord, a cry out to the great I am. You have examined my heart and know everything about me. You've examined my heart. I don't want to examine anyone to the point where I know everything about them. That's heavy. Do you? He has examined my heart and knows everything about me. It's not because he doesn't have anything to do. It's because you are so precious to him that he wants to be where you are all the time. If my kids are around me all the time, ah, 
Yeah, you know, parents, you know. Daddy, watch this. Daddy, watch that. Hey, Daddy, how about this? We do that to him, and he delights in it. He delights in it. Verse 13, and this is what we are most familiar with. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Intentionality, thoughtfulness, and creativity expressed in our existence. And I love this. Verse 14, thank you. Have you given thanks for how beautiful and wonderful you are today? I didn't. I haven't. And I preached this last service. I still haven't. Thank you, Lord, for making me so wonderfully complex. And that's not a negative term. So wonderfully complex. For your workmanship is marvelous. Who I am is marvelous because it's your design. I am yours. How well I know it and aware of it. Rejection tells us and makes us believe we're not aware of it. And tries to take our attention off of it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born every day of my life recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Jeez. How beautiful is that? How hard it is. I know in my own life to say, thank you, God, for how marvelous you've made me. If anyone knows how to do that and do it well, I want to learn from you. I do. I struggle. Anyone else struggle with that? How marvelous I am to you, Lord. And I know it. That is what the kingdom of God is all about. That is what the church should be operating in. How wonderfully marvelous we are in Christ Jesus. How wonderfully marvelous. And guess what? This isn't arrogance. This is confidence. I know it. We know it which means we can face rejection. Does it sting? Yes. Does it change who we are? No. Because we are the one with the one that holds who we are in his hands. And he has the first, the middle, and the last say. And he says, we are so worth it that he gave his one and only son. Rejection can kiss my backside. It can. Now, this is something we have to practice. Every relationship you encounter from here on out, ask the Lord, what do you want me to see? I don't want to miss the invitation to help someone come out of rejection. And it's not talking them out of rejection. It's giving them a different template of living. Modeling that. I can share some of my stuff with you because I've had to go through this whole rejection thing and still going through it but how freeing it is when I know, when I look in that mirror, how marvelous I am. Because he says I am. 
not because I say I am. That's conceit, is if I say I am because of me. But I say it because he said it. And you are all beautifully and wonderfully made. And he loves you beyond what you can imagine. And I could keep going, but I'm not going to, because my throat's hurting. But I want to pray over something, pray something over you right now. Because it's easy for me to say these things. It's another for us to hear them, apply them, and allow them to become habitual, but have meaning every moment. That is a life journey we do together. So I want you to receive this blessing as best you can, whether you need to close your eyes, hold out your hands, I don't care what you do, but I want you to hear this and receive it. In the name of Jesus Christ, with the authority he's given us all that call him Lord, I break off in the mighty name of Jesus any curses or pronouncements or judgments that have led you into a spirit of rejection. I break that off in Jesus' name. And I bless you with this name and the reality of this name. You are beloved. And I pray in Jesus' name protection over hearing these words and putting them on the shelf, hearing these words and putting them through an unhealthy filter or a too familiar filter, and that you would hear them for the first time, you are not meant to live alone, but with. There's no greater word outside of the name of Jesus than with. With Jesus. I bless you with healing over your wounds in Jesus' name. It may take time, but God is bringing the healing. He will bring it. Lord, may your love and grace rest upon us right now. And may we see ourselves through your eyes and not our own. May we know that your workmanship in our lives, who we are, is marvelous. We ask that you would continue to help us live out of faith, live into and out of faith in a way that as we give to you, it's, it's a pleasure, it's a joy. That we wouldn't uh, hold our significance and our well-being as we give and say, uh-oh, I gave too much or I gave this, now I'm, I'm in trouble. Lord, you are the one that provides all things. All things. So I ask in Jesus' name that we would be joyful as we give in all that we give, whether it be money, time, relationship. We are yours. So we ask that you would bless it. We ask that you would bless it. Bless our worship this morning that we would see you afresh. We thank you, Lord, that you love us unconditionally and that you always are there to accept us, especially when we walk away. Your arms are an open invitation to experience your embrace. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise
praise your name. 